Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Buckmore Park, the home of British karting and the patrons of Missed Apex. Go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex to support us and get all our bonus content and vlogs. This episode is called Rick Dead Redemption. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, good. I've been enjoying my weekend off, celebrating my 21st birthday and enjoying the Monaco Grand Prix. You can now drink in America and drive an articulated lorry. I don't know what an articulated lorry is, but I'll just take your word for it. Big rig, big old truck, king of the road. You are a big fan of Monaco. You're one of these, oh, you have to be there to kind of love it kind of guys. And you're always defending Monaco. Well, I don't necessarily think you have to be there to enjoy it. I certainly think if you go, it will definitely make you appreciate it a heck of a lot more but i've always loved watching monaco it's a a real thrill yeah it looks rubbish on telly though we are an independent podcast supported by you the listener we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first this show is safe for work we're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work we're also joined by race analyst alex jeansy van jean how's it going alex it's going all good, Spanners. Happy to be back on and excited after a um, enthralling, tense, bitten all my nails off kind of race. And another Alex, Alex Goldie Goldschmidt. How's it going, mate? Hi, Spanners. Yeah, pretty good, mate. Thanks a lot. Good to be back on Mist Apex. And we have a token Australian. We've brought him over as our chat room host, token Aussie chat room host, our video editor, Steve Amy. G'day, Steve. Hi, folks. How are you going? Bet you're happy. Oh, yeah, I'm really happy. It was a great race. We'll hear more from our panel later. If you want to join our live stream that Steve is here to look after, then go to YouTube, search for Missed Apex Podcast and click the little bell and you will get a notification every time we go live. Chris, was this the first introduction of the Hypersoft? 
it wasn't what we were expecting at first, and then when it actually came out on track, it was what we were expecting. Yeah, so a guy from Pirelli came on for an interview and said, oh, the Hypersoft will easily do 77 laps. So everyone's there thinking, oh, well, great, you know, nice one, good job, a tyre specifically designed to help us with this modern era of wearing tyres, deliberately wearing tyres for strategy, and you've built a street circuit track uh, tyre that is going to last the whole race. However... It didn't turn out like that. So a lot of confusion online about it. But in the end, I think the Hypersoft did what it was supposed to do, which was to be mega, mega, mega quick for a short amount of laps. Yeah, and even that was, you know, doing 15 laps around uh, Monaco, which is a particularly low deg um, circuit, although the graining was quite bad. So can you imagine if we take it to a track like Sochi, where we've never really seen tyre deg before, that might actually make that race interesting for once. Yeah, of course, because in Sochi, Rosberg was calling them the magic tyres that could last for the entire course of the race, and there seems to be nowhere at all. So I wonder if the Hypersoft is more than just a step down. They have specifically done something to make a compound that will wear in the way we've come to expect on these low abrasion street circuits. Well, it's two steps softer than the softest tyre from last year. So it, it has definitely gone uh, gone more towards the quali tire type of rubber awesome okay then let's talk a little bit about qualifying yeah <laughs> max verstappen jeansy in in the heat of p3 when the guys are really getting ready to set their qualifying laps he he did something it was identical to 2016 right yeah by the looks of it completely he got in and turned basically he turned too early and clipped that Clip the inside apex, which is a wall. Um, snap the steering arm, and once you snap the steering arm, there's nothing you can do. Um, there's a call for that he was probably um, uh, blindsided a little bit by Hulkenberg being in the middle of the track. But to be fair, the way the racing line works through there, you're flat out and you're sending yourself out towards the left-hand side before that corner anyway. So um, whether he should have backed out, I don't know. But he braked at the right kind of point, but it probably took his eye off the ball for a millisecond but um but no I, I it was just an error he's just pushing too hard and it's kind of become uh statutory for max to have some form of incident in a session at a grand prix weekend this year chris is it something like six sessions in a row where verstappen sorry six races in a row where verstappen has had this kind of incident yeah, I mean, there was the, the spin in Australia and the, the crash and qualifying in Bahrain with Lewis and, you know, multiple other ones bringing you right up to uh, the incident with uh, Stroll in, in Barcelona via a collision with his teammate in Baku as well. So he's definitely not had uh, an easy time of it this season. He was really he was the only driver to actually have a crash this weekend um, that was because of driver error. Nobody else threw it into the barriers um, there was obviously the the Claire incident, but that was a brake failure. So he was really the only driver error incident of the whole weekend, which I think not only says a lot about Max, but it also says a lot about the quality of these cars and the current field as well. Yeah, apologies to our Dutch listeners, but I think when you've had the this amount of uh, cumulative stress of these events happening time after time after time you've got to start going it's something in his headspace it's something in his mentality but with this particular incident 
I think this is really similar to 2016, where he suddenly jumped from a Toro Rosso into a Red Bull that had tons of downforce, tons of grip, where he seemed to just get taken uh, taken by surprise by how early he could take it. Could the Hypersofts have had a similar effect on him? And he thought, well, he can take it early. The other thing I'm thinking is, yes, if that was a qualifying lap and you had to unexpectedly go around that Renault, then you would definitely have justification for going for it. However... In P3, yes, you're still going for it, but you go, actually, this isn't life or death. Things have, this is not optimal. I'm just going to skip that little chicane in the second part of that corner and I'll try again the next lap. I think even if he had uh, had a really smooth start to this season, there's no excuses like that at at this level and not when you're driving for a team uh, like Red Bull as well. And he can't, you know, play the rookie status anymore. He's quite an experienced Grand Prix driver now and a multiple Grand Prix winner you know and so you throw on top the really difficult start to the season he's had he's really running out of places to run okay let's hear from our buzzing aussie in the corner what's the chat room up to steve uh, well at this stage they're giving max heaps of garbage i can tell you um evangelos eteroclitos i hope i got that right good try says well this says well this time he can't use the i was used to a Toro Rosso and expected it to understeer excuse. And uh, Rory L214 says the Hypersofts were overhyped and he's dead right about that. They were garbage. All right, then. Uh, What are we going to move on to now then, Chris? In fact, people may have noticed that we have an absence of Matt Trumpets and we have become very used to Matt telling us where the race was won and lost. And in fact, recently, He's been doing some fantastic races in 60 seconds. Well, fear not, because we are going to find out where the race was won and lost. And we are going to hear from Matt right now. Hey there, everybody. Matt Trumpets bringing you today's race in 60 seconds. Wheels off at Williams. No, actually, the wheels just weren't attached at the three-minute warning. It's not an editorial comment. Sorotkin penalty. Lights out. Hartley contact. Grosjean complaint. No crash, no crash, no crash. Verstappen passes Ericsson. Sorotkin pits, Stroll pits, Hamilton pits. No one pits. Vettel pits, Ricciardo pits, Raikkonen pits, Botas pits. Hamilton talks tires. Hamilton talks tires. Tires, 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 tires. Ricciardo loses power. Vettel almost passes. Hamilton told you so to the team. Hamilton tires, 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 tires. Verstappen pits. Alonso retires. Ah, uh, just from the race. Verstappen passes signs, sort of, kind of, almost, with a little bit of light cheating. Stroll pits, boozy iced coffee. Eggs Benedict, boozy iced coffee. Bottas might have made an attempt to look like passing. Boozy iced coffee. Crash! Leclerc out. Hartley out. Virtual safety car. Boozy iced coffee. No one pits. Virtual safety car in. No pass, no pass, no pass. Checkered flag, and Ricciardo wins. And that was today's race in 60 seconds. Okay, okay, guys, he's not here. Can we all make a pact that no one tells Matt how good those are? Okay, I just let's just say that. Yeah, it's fine. You know, try harder. I don't want to boost his ego, but that was a magnificent summary of the race. Hey, uh, Goldie, for a lot of people, even though Ricciardo was dominant up front in qualifying, and even though the Red Bulls just looked to have that amazing pace, there was still a lot of people that were looking at this as 
Hamilton versus Vettel off the line. It definitely was the case going into the sand of Ott, but yeah, it's, it is one of those tricky circuits where you've got to make it count at the right time. And the start would have been probably the best time for Vettel to go around the outside of Lewis, possibly, or go up the inside into the first corner. But there's, uh, it was, uh, it was difficult to see who was going to be in front of the, uh, the first corner. And Chris, it was pretty much Leinstein, wasn't it? They all behaved themselves disappointingly into Sandovart turn one. I mean, it's been amazing. They they all got through so, so cleanly and they've been clean all weekend. And I'm truly amazed. And I feel bad for telling my mate to stick a fiver on Lewis Hamilton to get second place. Because I just assumed that, oh, he's on the cleaner side of the grid. So he might, will probably jump Seb. Um, at the start, and I, I feel bad because now he's lost money on that. <laughs> well, actually, Hamilton didn't get a good start. Alex, we've been commentating. Sorry, I need to differentiate between the two Alexes, don't I? Jeansy, who's the more sort of Cockney geezer sounding one. Uh, Goldie's the more, oh, yes, clipped English commentator style guy. Uh, Goldie, uh, sorry, Jeansy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hamilton's not made the best starts this season. And he's cautious. Actually, Vettel got a clean run, sort of stuck his nose in, but a very typical Hamilton start. I can't really name a time where Hamilton's actually ever really made an amazing start, apart from 2014 at Abu Dhabi, where it was like there was a lighter jet, a rocket jet put off the back of his car. Um, but no, it, it was a normal start, to be fair. there was. I was actually quite impressed that the professional racing drivers actually acted and behaved like professional racing drivers this weekend they they were all astonishing it's part of the reason i enjoyed the race so much was just because the standard was so high except for stroll um don't worry we'll go there we'll go there all the time so here's the first Um, thing you're wrong about is that that's not a good thing like verstappen after binning it in p3 and not being able to qualify he had one job in this race which was to bring out a safety car to make things exciting and he failed completely to do that I had him down for lap 54 to have a crash, I think, um, which would have spiced it up really, really nicely for strategy. But as a from a racing point of view, I quite like watching them all drive really well and really cleanly because it does show that they all deserve to be out there at the highest level, higher than anybody else um, uh, who sits in a racing seat. It was it was a phenomenal display of absolute professionals at their peak yeah but you know no overtaking no smashes don't worry we'll argue about that later uh chris uh we thought then that perhaps this hypersoft was going to last a long time and and what we were predicting was that the overcut would be king as in tires would not heat up quickly on outlaps so the car responding pitting second would have the opportunity to see that the car they're either racing against or chasing um, has, had come in, and they would get a chance to put in a fast in-lap, if you like, and then overcut or increase the gap. Um, very surprising, then, that Mercedes decided to roll the dice so early on lap 12 with Hamilton. It's interesting. I think you know whether the overcut or the undercut would or would not work depended on which car you looked at. Um, and we had that odd scenario where a little bit of both was happening because the hypersoft for most was wearing you know a lot quicker than than we expected it was going further than what it was doing in practice but that's because the track had rubbered in um at that point but then the ultra soft tire really really struggled to get up to uh temperature um it just wasn't in that working window um whereas if you went for the super softs that was working um quite nicely 
for Red Bull, on the other hand, they were actually making that Hypersoft work quite well. So there was a real mix um, of the two uh, going on there. And we saw, you know, for, for what was a one-stop race, there was actually a good mix of, of strategy in there. But uh, certainly you get the feeling that perhaps the Ferraris and Red Bulls might have stayed out longer had Hamilton not rolled the dice there. The last thing they wanted to do was let Hamilton get his tyres warmed up. So they responded quickly. Um, but the one thing that struck me as well was with Hamilton pitting in lap 12, suddenly he's vulnerable to the rain, which threatened to come in. And any kind of safety car would have completely nullified that tactic as well. So it's quite an aggressive move from Mercedes. I think they had to. They had to roll the dice, really, because they knew they didn't have uh, the pace, um, especially compared to Red Bull. Maybe they could have gotten the jump on uh, the Ferrari. Um, But once Seb had maintained that place at the start, they knew that really the strategy was their only option of of jumping them. So um, I admire... Uh, what they did there to really roll the dice and try and get Lewis ahead. Yeah, because Goldie, I I don't think definitely Red Bull, they were so kind to their tyres, the only reason for them to react was to make sure that they got that overcut in uh, and not let Hamilton warm up the tyres. But, you know, why were why were Red Bull so kind on their tyres? I think with Ricardo, you have to factor in because he had clear air. Everyone else behind was in a wake of some description yes. at some point during the race. So with the Hypersofts, they were going off a lot quicker than people were anticipating, especially Hamilton, who was uh, who was complaining about them. Um, but yeah, it was just the fact that Ricardos were, were just, you know, no 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 turbulent weight behind the vehicle, and uh, it just uh, worked to his advantage. Really, I think it's an inherent part of that uh, car as well, or at least certainly for this um, circuit, because. In practice as well, you know, they were going really, really strong. They were still setting purple sectors when those tires were 10 laps old. So there is, you know, something about uh, that car that it was just inherently keeping them in good nick this weekend. Yeah, good. And then the only kind of notable thing uh, from those tactics, Chris, everyone kind of did what they were expecting to do, which is wait for someone to blink, then do the overcut. And in fact, I think... Vettel put it in about a seven second lead over Hamilton in the end. You know, everyone's used to the undercut now in F1 and they were like, is Hamilton going to cross the line? But I think we were expecting the overcut. So we knew it was going to be a big gap. And from about two seconds, it was about out to about seven seconds, I think, after the first pit stop. Yeah, definitely for for that lead battle, it was the overcut that was working um, pretty well because you saw just the gap that was about, you know, five seconds covering the top three really spread out to about, you know, 10, 12 seconds after the pit stops. Chat room, how's it going, Steve? Oh, fine. The chat room's having a bit of a uh, McLaren meltdown, I suppose. Someone said the best chassis McLaren finished behind all the running Renaults and the Hondas. And then the comeback to that was people are past criticizing McLaren. They're the differently abled team that gets applause for just turning up, although Williams are vying for that role, apparently. I will say that people who are McLaren fans do indeed judge McLaren by different standards. And I think their publicity department may regret pushing so hard on the best chassis claim. uh, Now that that is proving not to be true in this particular, uh, in this particular season. Uh, So Chris, yeah, the only surprise was Bottas going to the superstuffs and that suddenly brought the tactical element of it to life because with Bottas on the superstuffs, Suddenly, we have a race on. There's a car in there that has made the call based on thinking, well, 
it's not going to be a one-stopper hypersoft. Um, oh my god, why did they call so many of them something soft? Okay, uh, hypersoft. Uh, it, the, everyone was thinking it was hypersoft, ultrasoft. So they're the 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 softest, and then the next softest. With Bottas going on to super softs, which is actually the hardest compound, that suddenly makes everyone go, "Oh, this might be a two stopper." It, it is ridiculous the the soft tire names, isn't it? <laughs> and the ultra soft and the hyper soft were so tough to differentiate on the TV. It was ridiculous. They need to change that for next year. Um, anyway, back to your question. Um, I'm surprised more people weren't going for the super soft because after Thursday. I got the impression that a lot of people were looking at that tire as a better race tire than the Ultrasoft, especially when we found out that the Hypersoft was wearing a lot quicker um, than we expected. And the cooler conditions tend to work better for the Supersoft anyway. And Mercedes and Ferrari had those tires available. Red Bull didn't. Um, so I understand why they didn't go for um, the Supersoft. But Mercedes and Ferrari had that at their... Um, disposal and they didn't go for it which surprised me um really because it would it would have been a very comfortable one stop at that point as well but i i, I really don't think you know even if their tires are completely falling away two stops just not going to work all right let's go to steve now because the next thing of note that happened and this is steve this is not you in your chat capacity this is us as media content creator friends and you as just an aussie just a fan looking at a racing driver hoping that he'll win a race. When it came over the radio and he said, oh, I'm losing power. How did that feel? Did it feel bad? I think it felt bad. Um, it felt like the whole bottom just dropped out of the world. <laughs> I was sitting there late at night in the dark by myself watching Daniel win the race. And then suddenly when he came over and said, I'm losing power, if there'd been a Frenchman next to me, I would have strangled him. Fair enough, yeah. That's that's a reasonable response um, in Australia. <laughs> but <laughs> tell you what, even in our, uh, I was hanging out in our Patreon Slack group. Why not support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. And the guys in there that I know full well are Hamilton fans, are Vettel fans. Universally, when Ricciardo, and I'm going to say it however I want, Richie Icciardo uh, had that problem and said, I'm losing power. The, the amount of comments that were just, no, please, no, it can't be. It can't be. People were desperate for him to win this race. Like, how, what does he mean to you as an Australian driver, you know, kind of on the Weber scale? Um, I think he probably means more to us than Weber does because he's got more potential. I think Mark, you know, was a good racer in his day, but he was never going to be world champion. I think Daniel has a real chance to be world champion, you know, in the next few years. And I think uh, he's doing a lot of good for Formula One here. You know, lots of Australians now know who he is and follow the, the sport, at least, you know, uh, they look out for the results every two weeks. Good. And hello to all our Australian listeners. I think it's our third highest audience count, our li uh, third highest listener count behind the UK, the US, Canada. I think it's then Australia, then the Netherlands. So hello to you guys. Um, not that everyone else isn't important, uh, but just less important to us. So uh, yeah, go Ricciardo and go Verstappen. Alex, you're holding your head in your hands. You know, this is all calculated. Don't worry. It, it's not me saying this. It's the comedy character of Spanners Ready, host of Missed Apex podcast. Uh, but during the race, you were saying to me, even though Bottas has kind of set his stall out, he's doing a one-stopper, you always felt that the guys in the top five could not pit. If they'd lost track position, so if all four, if all 
um, if at the top of them all pitted, they Bottas would have jumped them. If um, and also the midfield was much much faster in the sort of final two thirds of the race. Um, so they were under threat. But to be fair, after I wrote that text message, um, I then looked at the gaps and realized that they were too far back. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, that wasn't quite right. But they all got very close towards the end. I mean, they were all on Bottas's tail in the uh, going across the line. So it could have been a very interesting situation if people had pitted. But um, I think they'd had them covered just. Yeah, so there was a lot of cat and mouse, Chris, about whether anyone was going to roll. I think the only people realistically who were ever going to pit was um, Hamilton and Vettel because Ricciardo had, was up there with his track position. He wasn't going to give that up. Kimi Raikkonen is always just left out to see what happens. And Bottas was suited and booted to finish the race. But had one of those two championship contenders pitted, it, it could have been very interesting indeed. Uh, I, th- I think they would have closed the gap and then just hit the, the brick wall that you, you, you see at Monaco. I mean, if, if say, Ricardo had pitted with his, you know, power deficit, I mean, the reason he was staying ahead was because he had track position to begin with. If he'd have pitted, he most definitely would have lost track position in the in the long run, even if everybody else had pitted as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, one stop was definitely the way to go, even if they were you know, lapping slower than the midfield for most of that race. So at one point, I actually thought if they had to pit, if these ties were going to go away, it was between uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Bottas. Uh, But Bottas was sat there playing the waiting game. And I think it was taken out of his hands in the end because everyone decided track position was king. And there was just one little blip left in the race, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, But on lap, I think it was 73, we found that Leclerc ended up having a bit of a brake failure, crashing into Brendan Hartley, which caused a safety car, and then we all kind of held our breath and went, is this going to be the moment? But in the exact opposite scenario to Bahrain, Chris, everyone went, oh, no, 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 track position is is so the king here that even uh, a fresh pair of boots with four seconds delta on the leaders wasn't enough. They had to stay out. And, And this really is... This is Monaco. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're so close to the end of uh, the race as well, you know, rolling the dice like that, it really isn't worth the risk. And uh, I think, you know, for Mercedes and Ferrari as well, they've got to think about the championship. And I know Vettel said that he sees Red Bull as title contenders, but I personally do not. Um, Just because I, I think, you know, they can probably challenge for wins uh, on a regular basis, but they're not going to be there across the whole um, season. So all Ferrari have to do is just make sure that they're ahead of Mercedes. Yeah. And Mercedes weren't expecting to be particularly quick here anyway. So actually, third place is pretty good for them. So they should just take that. And they did just take that. Yeah. Par for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton was third behind Vettel. Try telling Hamilton that. I think he he wanted to go for second place. The team is sitting there thinking, no, no, no. This is kind of exactly where we expect it to be. Let's take just a three-point hit in the championship lead this is fine of course Hamilton had different ideas um let's imagine though for a second that Red Bull are title contenders Daniel Ricciardo has been racing as well as he possibly could be in Red Bull this season Jeansy I put it to you that as good and as talented as Max Verstappen is Daniel Ricciardo is now the team leader at Red Bull if not contractually 
by his performance and spiritually and the whole team must be looking to him and thinking if there's a title championship up for grabs here it's Daniel Ricardo who's going to take us there in 2018 yes um, Max Verstappen has all the talent all the ability all the potential unfortunately his head is not there yet if all of a sudden you put him in a car that's like the 2014 Mercedes against a lower teammate he'll go off and win it you put him against someone um, who is a seasoned veteran of the sport a Vettel a Hamilton he won't beat them over a season he'll do some amazing things and win in some fantastic races where he'll be superb but he cannot seem to hold his head together for one whole season yeah and chat room i'll be very interested uh, to hear what you think about that because if if the tables do turn a little bit if red bull st- suddenly start pulling out performance after performance and there's a world driver championship on the line max verstappen's only got half the points of daniel ricciardo at this point i think red bull do back the guy that's winning the guy that's out in the lead of the championship we could very well be seeing a strange situation where max verstappen is getting team orders uh what would that be chris what are their team numbers multi three 70 what what's verstappen's number there's three and 33 333 wait what who who do you want ahead that it wouldn't wouldn't work very well (laughs) four candles uh, four candles yeah be um no i'd be surprised if they actually did properly enforce team orders if it got to a later stage in the season and it looked like daniel had a realistic shot at the title yeah probably but i i I don't see red bull as title contenders for this year they're just not they're not quick enough on enough circuits not through their own own fault i'll say a lot of that is maybe down to uh to renault um but uh or sorry tag hewer uh, but uh, yeah, either way, I don't see them as season-long challengers. Okay, so we know that Steve here, as an Australian, is a fan of the Australian racing driver Daniel Carter. However, me and Alex, we are fans of Lewis Hamilton, the British racing driver. I think, Alex, we share a frustration today with Lewis Hamilton. Why is it that he seems to never be able to acknowledge that just because his tyres are not optimum and not fresh, that that is somehow a disaster. The second he loses the optimum grip, he just wants rid of them. And then his poor engineer was sitting there telling him, no, no, everyone, everyone is in this situation. This is just what the race is right now. But we see it time after time after time. When Lewis Hamilton isn't winning, he is on there complaining about the tyres. Do you remember when you were at school? And you used to get in trouble for something and you used to say to your parents, but everybody else is doing it. And your parents used to say to you, I don't care what everyone else is doing. I care what you're doing. And that's exactly where Lewis is. Um, he's like, all I can see is my world. I'm not looking outside my world. I'm looking at my tires. They are graining. I've got to manage these tires. I can't lock up because if I lock up, I'm in a wall and I don't want to crash. I know at the moment I can't catch the cars in front of me. All I can do is see myself going backwards, but I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. And he just seems to completely lose track, which is the one big chink in Lewis's armor. And, and, and it's the one thing that he needs to, well, I don't think he'll ever smoothen it out. It's, it's who he is. But, um, if he ever wants to, um, 
have not have these off races he's got to get rid of that um but yeah i i I wish i could see a way around it but it is really frustrating when all i hear is lewis moaning about tires when he's been told countless times everyone else is suffering the same problem you've just got to get through it yeah also i think we discussed it a couple of races ago where you say he's so used to being the best in karting four times world champion as soon as he's not winning you're looking for something it can't be me I'm amazing. I've done all these amazing things. Therefore, the tires are there and we've got to blame them. Um, but have you noticed, Chris, that the Mercedes team are kind of putting their foot down a little more? I think in years gone past, he, he might have been able to persuade the team to change the strategy around that. Whereas I think they've kind of cottoned onto it now and gone, no, no, that is just, that's just what Lewis does in that situation. We need to lay down the, the strategic law. I mean, at the end of the day, the guys in the garages are the ones with all the numbers and the ones with, you know, far superior knowledge of what else is going on in a race than just the, the driver in the car. And that's the, the case for everybody. So I, it's absolutely right that they're the ones calling the shots. Alex, Jeansy Van Jean. I think also in not so recent, in the not so distant past, um, the, he, the team have let him down on strategic calls and maybe there's a little bit of him going do you really believe what you're telling me is this really the right call and he has to ask the question again and again just to cement it make them maybe check the numbers again just so they don't have a uh monaco 2015 was it where he lost out to nico um and just to make sure going are you guys sure about this like when vettel was told to park the car and he said, are you sure? Yeah. And then he, wow. did he yeah. win the race? I can't remember what happened that race, but yeah. it's that kind of thing of doesn't 100% maybe trust the team. Yeah, very interesting as well. But how I feel, Chris, is that we kind of end up thinking of these drivers as employees and as if, you know, they're just somebody who is, you know, paid to be there and is, uh, you know, just doing what they're told, following orders. But in reality, these guys are team leaders. So yes, they're young. Yes, they're in a team and an organization with a lot more experienced engineers and team bosses. But if you think of like, you know, your army officer, who's a 25 year old commanding grizzled veterans, but he's there for a specific reason and specific training and specific skills that he has. Do you think people judge Lewis Hamilton too harshly when what he's doing is leading from the front in the cockpit? I, I do think Lewis Hamilton is a very misunderstood person. Um, I don't think many people in the world really understand um, Lewis Hamilton. But uh, in regards to the kind of leadership thing, I don't really know. It's I, I can I can see why he'd want to assert himself um, at times, but I th- I think it's right that you know he he puts his trust in the team because they are the ones with the information, with the data. All right, let's go to Steve Amy, looking after our internet chat room for us. Well, at the moment, the chat room is still going on about Max and a bit about Stroll. Um, Clint Eastwood says that Max's race form is linked to his moustache. Once he can grow a proper beard, he'll be able to deliver. And uh, uh, EMH2212 says Max probably suffers from a a bit of short-terminism. He doesn't think to the next few races, but really just thinks about the next few laps, and that doesn't help anybody anywhere. Very good. All right, then. Alex Goldie Goldschmidt. 
Haven't heard from you for a, for a while. Uh, here's a question. Was Sebastian Vettel ever truly racing Daniel Ricciardo? That's, that is a difficult one. Um, but firstly, you have to take into consideration the circuit itself. That's one of the key things. Um, you know, he was getting, you know, I think it, I think it was less than a second uh, towards the, you know, towards the, the tail end of the race. And especially after Daniel was having the problem uh, with, the, with the, uh, the, the hybrid system, it was, it was like, okay, so when's he going to try and make these overtakes? You know, he's got limited opportunity to do so. Uh, was he really racing him? Well, if Daniel had a, you know, a fully working car under him, I think he would have been gone. Um, so could you have said he might have been racing him? Well, if they were, if they were pretty comparable on pace, I would have thought so. But in this instance, because Daniel was doing such a great job with, with what he had, I don't think Seb might have been racing him. See, there you go, Chris. I kind of tend to agree. I think Vettel had looked at Ricardo and thought, He's not going to give that lead up. I'm reducing the deficit in the championship. I'll just follow this guy home. And that, that, that is what I think was happening. I will 100% say that if Ricardo had a working car, he would have scampered off into the distance because the race pace they had on Thursday was just electric and they were looking after the tyres so much better than anyone they were really in the groove. But when you're missing the thick end of 200 brake horsepower, I think it was a, a realistic expectation that Vettel would be able to find a way past him. Um, and I think what kept him ahead is obviously the nature of the circuit, but also the fact that Vettel was really struggling with the graining on the tyres. And so he he couldn't even try and, and get closer to him in the corners, which the Red Bull was dominating anyway, especially in the yeah. last sector. Plus the uh, the, the fact that as, as soon as he got him out the window, so on his outlap, and when the VSC uh, ended, he just had no pace whatsoever. Just could not get the tyres in the window at all, and ended up losing three, four, five seconds in in those scenarios. So I think at times, yes, he was racing him for the lead, um, but ultimately he he wasn't the one with the pace. It's interesting because Verstappen must be absolutely kicking himself. He must be sitting there going, wow, an ailing teammate, I'd have had a go. I think the difficulty that um, Daniel Ricciardo had to face, though, because of the failure, was the fact that he had to move the brake bias so far forward. He said they move it sort of between 1% and 3% forward. He had to move the brake bias 7% further forward. Now, we remember at Monaco, where it's bumpy, where there's lots of undulation, it's really, really easy to lock a wheel up. So to for Daniel to have that while trying to save temperature and brakes, which can cause all sorts of difference, like glazing and different sorts of things with the brakes, um, to, to control that race with the pace that he had, with a loss of, what's it, 160 horsepower, it's, it's so impressive. Um, I mean, the locking up thing is really important because you've really got to nail the brakes in these cars. Um, and one lock wheel, you saw it, Vettel nearly put it in the wall towards the end because he locked the wheel. It was how he won his first race in Canada, wasn't it? When the Mercedes had the exact same issue. They lost the K, the brakes overheated, they couldn't keep it together. And Dan- Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Daniel was having to manage that exact same issue um, today. Plus, when you lose the K, that puts more stress on the combustion engine itself and increases fuel consumption. So with that lack of power and the fact that he was having to lift earlier, he you know, wasn't even getting into seventh gear uh, on the, uh, at the end of the tunnel. You know, he was getting high up in the range in sixth and then uh, was having to, to lift off. Frankly, I think it's a, a miracle that he made the finish, let alone that Vettel didn't pass him. I've just realised that I've forgotten what all these different systems mean and are called. What was wrong with Ricardo's car? So it was the MGUK. So that is, is the, the one that harvests energy from the brakes and that. Yes, and it de- deploys it as electrical energy. Basically, the old Kerr system, but much more uh, advanced. Right, so they've got about, what, 40 seconds per lap of deploying that? Something like that, yeah. 33. 33, there you go. So that's not bad. So when he's coming out the tunnel, he's kind of, you know, he's he's down on power, so he can still accelerate up, one, two, three, four, five, six. But where he would normally be going into seven, maybe eight, he hasn't had the power to get him up to the point where he needs that. So when he said, oh, I was down two gears, that's a, a bit misleading. It, it was a bit because I've even seen articles saying that he lost two gears in in the race, whereas actually that was a kind of a, the wrong thing to say. It was just kind of a factually incorrect thing for, for him to say. Um, I don't know whether that's because he actually wasn't fully, you know, enlightened on the situation. I think it's a bit unlikely. I think he maybe just misspoke, really. All right. Oh, sorry, Goldie, do you want to get in before the chat room? Well, there was quite an interesting radio transmission as well uh, when, he, uh, when Dan- Daniel was being told to shift using the lights rather than the tone that they actually have coming through the earpieces. Uh, so that was quite interesting how Red Bull were helping to micromanage the situation by saying, yeah, just shift by the lights. Don't use the tone that's going in your ears. I mean, it's really interesting as well because Helmut Marco was being interviewed as they were walking and he was kind of like, I'm not going to tell you what the specific issue was. But it was quite telling that he said, well, we had the issue. We found a, a, a mode, a setting that helped the problem. 
and we also made some adjustments in driving style. So I think we could put that down to, okay, some fancy engine mode that helps them with that loss of power. Driving style can come down to where you gear shift. So using the lights, so, so kind of doing it by yourself, if you like, instead of by the tone in his earpiece. And then the other thing was he was having to then, instead of going on the brakes early, he was lifting and coasting, but not to save fuel. I think he was lifting and coasting because he basically run out of grunt and gears down the straight Therefore, I just put myself in a strategically good position, lift and coast into the corner. He was having to lift and coast more than he normally would do anyway. Because of the extra stress that was being put on the combustion engine, it was using up more fuel. So he was having to save more than than he normally would be. Okay, let's go to the chat room. And then I think me and the panel are going to have a little bit of a disagreement. Uh, Steve, Amy, what's going on with the chat? Uh, well, at this stage, Hansink is saying that Vettel is really going for the points this year and the champ and the championship this year. Um, he's just so calm, even when things aren't going his way, which is a bit different than he has been in the past. I've got to say, uh, Ray Thompson says, "Is it me or is Sparkle's bookshelf actually getting worse?" Um, it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Evangelos uh, said, "Rick has the most sensitive. Ricky, Ricciardo has the most sensitive ABS system in the world, and that's his left foot, and he's dead right about that." And um, and uh, Mansink says, "This is probably the only race in the year where you can win with such a damaged car." I tell you what, yeah, that, that is definitely relevant to what we're about to talk about. And um, the Red Bull uh, radio did try to make this out to be like equal to Schumacher winning a race with only fifth gear available. Daniel Daniel has done himself absolutely no harm in the legend status whatsoever. When this guy delivers, when he brings it, he brings it in such style and he's got the personality and the sound bites to bring with it that I think even if he doesn't become a world champion, he is going to be remembered throughout uh, the next few decades of Formula One. He's definitely been a great addition for formula one and a good personality but steve did you just pronounce it ricciardo i can't remember i normally pronounce it ricardo because that's the way he does but i have been told that it act- should actually be ricciardo i believe be, yeah. yeah and i've decided to call it ricciardo because it generates emails and i i like getting your emails so it's nice you know why would I change? Ricciardo, Ricciardo, who cares? Okay, so uh, let's have a bit of a disagreement. I think, I think, race guy, Alex Van Jean, you're a race guy, aren't you? You do sim racing at the moment. You're, you're big into your sim racing at the moment. I am big into my sim racing at the moment because real racing isn't quite happening with new family and new job and lack of money because of kids and all that kind of stuff. So no, I've got... um. You've got a little baby, haven't you? I mean, babies are terrible. Why did you do yeah, that? Yeah, she's, she's nearly seven weeks old now. Third one as well. Oh, oh look, there's a cat on the window ledge. This is your third kid, third kid as <laughs> this well. This is my it? second. No, my second. second. Oh, right, my okay. second and my last. Okay, can I just I say, make sure, make sure you get a Netflix account and got uh, one. Like, yeah, good. Right, you know, just stick Netflix, to watching films. Amazon Prime, Sky. I'm yeah, set for exactly. Life, just watch TV. Put her down don't have any more babies are terrible uh but you do a bit of sim racing and you're going to be doing some tomorrow night um is there is there like live commentary along with that is there yeah so i run a i run a series called the uh project 4 gt3 world championship which is run on project cars on the playstation 4 um there's 16 of us that take part mainly because that's the maximum number you can have in a group there'll be 14 tomorrow because two people can't make it um and uh, we're racing at Brno in the Czech Republic. 
Um, it's we run no, we well we run we run real assists, which has got the ABS and the traction control. We run real world weather, so we check the weather that's going on in that country at the time of the race, and the weather is set. Um, but we will be live streaming the race tomorrow from. Uh, eight o'clock which is when practice which is when the lobby will open practice will start at half past eight and that'll be live streamed on online racing network which is a youtube channel um i'll stick a link on the missed apex podcast uh, sheet but there's some really great people who are racing in it you've got chris danes commentating on it um and apart from being a great racing driver he's also a fantastic commentator as well give you it might give you a run for your money goldie um and then you've got some great i'll, I'll like... wait and see on that gene see watch I'll it to- watch it tomorrow that. okay i'll tell you but, what yeah, yes, well, you can do. join him i will do i'll tell you what guys make sure you follow um at missed apex f1 on twitter and we will tweet out when genesy is going live okay so um, just just so you can all be aware i won't be running at the front i'll probably be fifth sixth because um it's a blooming tough group of people danny henny and carl powell will walk it i think yeah 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 good i've seen you karting is fine i had low expectations uh so my biggest beef in this race as a lewis hamilton fan as a british formula one fan was i was dying for lewis hamilton to pit he was he was cruising up to the back of the front two he was complaining about his tires now we just seen uh, verstappen do his one stop onto the hypersofts and suddenly be out four seconds a lap faster than the leaders with 21 laps to go, I put it to you, Chris, that Hamilton should have pitted and he could have gone for the win. No, you would have, it would, you would have been four seconds a lap quicker, but then you would have just cruised up to the back of them and not passed them because that's the way Monaco works. He would have given up two places and not been able to make them back up again. Well, well, hang on a minute. Let's, let's put that in context because uh, Esteban Ocon, previously in the race, had jumped out of the way of both Mercedes drivers. Fair enough, they were out of pit sequence and Ocon may have felt he didn't want to compromise his lap time or, more realistically, he may have his eye on a Mercedes seat in the next couple of years. Either way, he jumped out very very quickly and I, I have a huge suspicion that Ocon would have jumped out of Hamilton's way again. I think he would have uh, been let by by Bottas simply because Lauda had come on and said the main aim of our race strategy is to protect Lewis Hamilton's lead. So that would have put him behind Kimi Raikkonen with a big lap time delta. Yeah, and he still wouldn't have passed him. It, okay, even even if they had told Bottas to get out of the way, you know, you're still losing one place and Raikkonen's not going to give that up, and not least for the podium. What that was was damage limitation. He was pretty much guaranteed third if he stayed out. And that's exactly what he did. I mean... We saw guys who were so, so much quicker, really, really struggling to pass. I mean, look at how Max spent so long looking at the back of Science, And when he passed him, he was 25 seconds up the road within four laps. That's how much quicker he was. And it was still a real struggle for him to, to get by. So, and, and when you've got so few laps remaining as well, you're just, it's not worth it. It's not, you can go to the end on a ridiculously old set of tires. Sebastian Vettel... Prove that to us in the first year of Pirelli high degradation tyres that you can just go to the end and hold your position. So what you're telling me is in the jewel in the crown of Formula One, the Monaco Grand Prix, a driver with a five second a lap delta was struggling to get past a car. Now, to me, that says 
that this racetrack doesn't belong on the calendar. Now, I don't want to be a stick in the mud. I don't want to be negative because I enjoyed my two hours in front of the television, locked away in the shed, watching this Grand Prix. The worst Grand Prix in the world is better than two hours sitting with some screaming kids and the new kittens that are just peeing everywhere. Um, however, in the context of Formula One, in the context of the season we've had, I didn't want to come on here and say it's a boring race because there was a magnificent story of Daniel Ricciardo winning this race. I didn't want to be a party pooper. However, we did put a poll out uh, on my Twitter account. And thank you so much for the people who've been responding to all my polls recently. I have been accused occasionally of wording it in a little bit of a biased way. I think that is shocking. If you follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter, I think you'll find I'm, I'm always very neutral. In this case, I was neutral. I said... Recording Miss Apex tonight, we're split on how good that race was, so please help us out. Was the Monaco Grand Prix a great race or a boring race? And we've had about 100 votes, and it is 46% great and 54% boring. So I don't feel too bad sitting here saying, I think that as a spectacle, without the story of Daniel Ricciardo winning, Chris, that was a boring race. Everyone finished where they started. There was no competitive overtakes. You could not race, even with a four, five second delta. There was no racing. This was not a Formula One race. Well, it was. But like, here's the thing: you're saying that without the Ricardo thing, it would have been boring. Yeah, but without the you know the Ricardo thing did happen. You can say a lot of things. If that didn't happen, this wouldn't have been an interesting race. The fact is, they did happen. And yeah, Monaco is all about qualifying. That's why it's a unique uh, race, because it's so qualifying dependent. It's a lot of pressure on the Saturday. Yeah, it takes away from the action on uh, the Sunday, but it's, you know, the one race of the year where this is truly um, the case. And that's part of the challenge of Monaco. And, you know, even when we go into it, there's always something, you know, it's very, very rare. I think last year's race was a bit of an exception where, really you know not a lot happens there's no story to it there's always something that does happen in the race to spice things up jeansy max started last where did he finish ninth we saw some great moves so you can't say you can't ever take around that it's hard it's really really hard um but to give you an idea of how tense that race was and it wasn't a barnstorm or a screamer like some of the races that we've had lately but it was tense because you didn't know what was going to happen. And that's the beauty of Monaco. At Monaco, anything can happen and completely transform the race. Go on. You're going to say something and think you're right. Counterpoint. It was only tense because we thought Daniel Ricciardo's car might fail at any minute. Had he just had that pace and we didn't know that there was something they were managing, which they did manage, it would have just been beads on a string. It was tense because also we didn't know what was going to happen with the tyres. Because I think at one point you said to us that you put a bet on Bottas to win the race because he put super softs on and we thought everybody was going to two stop. That was had everybody on the edge of their seat thinking, when is someone going to pull the trigger? So I have no fingernails left because of today's race. Um, That's the way it works for me. The reason I like Monaco as a as a racer, the reason I like Monaco is because it's such a challenge. You are coming into corners like Tabak at 150 miles an hour, where have you? did you not see them coming into the swimming pool? They were inches from that barrier every single lap. 
you have any idea how difficult that is you make one mistake your entire race is over in some drivers in some of the new some of the new drivers that could be career over yeah but sure uh, someone else someone else might come alex we could go and watch hill climb where it's time trials that go out one at a time. They are so close to the barriers. It's incredible racing. Go watch John Monroe, who's been on this podcast, going and doing his hill climb stuff in single seaters. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, but Chris, I mean, you, you can talk about that, but that, that kind of excitement, you see all that in practice, you see all that in qualifying. When it comes to the race, you want people to be competing against each other. You get to enjoy it in the race as well. I mean, I seriously get such a buzz out of just watching them, you know, g- going around that track because it's, such a challenge as as jeansy said and you know i mean with the number of i mean number of overtakes does just not equal good or bad racing at all you know and it, and it's just become such a an idea that that formula one they like oh my god we have to have overtakes we have to have overtakes we have to have overtakes and it's just not the it's just not the case when some of the best football matches sometimes end up in right. Sometimes end up nil-nil. They're not always, you know, while that's true, that organically happened in the same environment as other football matches. This is more like having a football match where you say don't run and some of the players actually have their legs tied together and we have goals that are a 15th of the size as normal. And, and that means that it is definitely going to be nil-nil unless you have some Liverpool-style goalkeeping. Uh, oh, sorry, too soon. Too soon. Goldie, Ow. Goldie, back me up. The, it, it, apart from the drama of Ricardo, this wasn't a good race. Nah. In some way, in some ways, I agree with you. But in terms of what Jeansy was alluding to, now, now this weekend actually is quite a specific one for me, and I'm talking nostalgia here. 1988 was the first time I watched a Formula One Grand Prix, and it just so happened to be when Ayrton Senna binned it on the approach into the tunnel. Since then, Monaco has always been a race I will watch every single year. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's, it can be difficult when it's n- there's no overtaking, but there is always something that happens at Monaco. Let's take, for instance, most recent Grand Prix that have happened there. Remember 2013 when Rosberg won it and you had that incident between Maldonado and Shelton bringing out the red flag. You then had the one that Vettel won back in 2011 when you had Sutil, Hamilton, um, Algashwari and Petrov ending, I think it was by the swimming pool chicane. There, there is something magical about Monaco. Forget about all, all the glitz and the razzmatazz. There is always something that br- brings excitement. We had it with Danny Rick's um, issues with the MG UK this weekend. But for me, Monaco is one of those that should stay on there because of the... Nest- now, Spanners, I'm going factual on this one. Okay. Silverstone was not the only place that had its first... Gr- that was on the first ever Grand Prix calendar in 1950. Monaco was also there as well. Good. So what you've done is you've just listed a series of relatively mundane events. So let's talk about the most exciting things that have happened this decade in Monaco. Daniel Ricciardo's tyres not being ready due to an administrative error. Uh, Lewis Hamilton losing out to Nico Rosberg in a last minute kind of uh, safety car and then they couldn't get the pit stop sorted. They couldn't double stack them or something like that. The, the things we're talking about in Monaco is the equivalent to um, the end of Wild Things or just a Hollywood movie where... Yes, they've been developing a long, pondering plot. And at the end, they go, ha, 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 No, no. Now, something surprising and completely unexpected has happened. That is different to, you know, something like a well-structured story where you have a fight and a battle all throughout 
the, the, the actual course of the ranks. The only way Monaco is ever exciting is if something unexpected or terrible happens, like a mistake or a crash. Okay, I have glanced in the chat room and seen a comment from Baja Mutio, Matt, that said, TBF, Spanish GP, was worse than Monaco. And I agree. Well, in that case, let's go to Steve Amy. What is going on in the chat room proper? Because Sparkles is nicking your job there. Feel free to reach <laughs> over the internet and spark him out. Uh, I will. I'll meet him one day and give him heaps. Don't worry. Um, they're all talking about Monaco and the race. Um, uh, EMH2212 says the best part about Monaco, other than Ricciardo winning or Ricardo winning, whichever way you want to say it, was Verstappen climbing up through the pack. And that's true. Everyone says you can't overtake a Monaco, but he did overtake He a overtook a lot of much slower cars. So, yes, if you have like an 18-second delta, you can overtake. And I think the best policy with Ricciardo is to say it differently every single time. Please carry on. <laughs> I think I'm catching it from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Steve Bycroft says, Monaco plus F1 equals huge amounts of money. It's never going to go away as long as people get to see Seb spray all, spray all over a princess on the podium which is pretty funny. And Low Stealth says anything can happen in Monaco except racing. That's fair. I I think that's fair. Yes, you are sitting there waiting for the unexpected to happen. And to you kids out there who have only known Formula One since, say, 2000, in the 90s and the 80s, every race was like this. Every single race was like this. They would go, what would happen at the beginning? Okay, well, nothing. They all settled down. And you were waiting, basically, for Gerhard Berger's engine to blow up, just so the order would change in some way. Chris, Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, you haven't been on much lately because you've been doing real journalist things. Tell us about them. Yeah, it's been uh, an exciting time. You know, uh, middle of the year, it's always very busy um, for uh, for motorsport. So doing a lot of Formula E stuff, which has been just really, really cool. I was in Berlin last weekend. Uh, and that was uh, just so much fun. Wait a minute, Hoppers you were in really Berlin easy. covering Formula E? Yeah. That's really grown up. Yeah, I know. And, you know, there was Rome and Paris before that. I'm off to Zurich in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then maybe the New York finale, if I can get the budget together. Um, so it's a, it's a really exciting um, time with that. And, of course, um, 750 Motor Club stuff with um, Autosport and Motorsport uh, News. So I should be getting back into that pretty quickly as well and i'm still trying to keep in contact with everyone there because i feel like i'm really missing out and that's it all this really exciting race happened i want to know what happened in it so um yeah it's uh, it's a fun time it's tough i'm suffering from the same thing as you obviously i have a full-time engineering job as well and this is bringing on more and more opportunities and you have to end up saying to people ah i need to i need to actually put that on pause because of this opportunity and it's very hard to know what you should be taking and which opportunities you should take speaking of which goldie i mean the opportunities I'm taking it is generally replacing you as often as possible on the commentary circuit. <laughs> yes. Nice debut at uh, Roy House at Daytona D-Max, my friend. And, and also good to, and the Daytona 24 hours. And I have to say, I liked your tweet saying, 24-hour race with Jake Sanson. Don't think I'm going to get a word in. And I barely <laughs> did, actually. No, really I know. Actually, I, know. I, I had a great back and forth with Jake Sanson because obviously he's been on this podcast a lot. And we basically yes. just bought, we brought a bit of podcast land to some motorsport commentary, which was lovely. What are you up to at the moment? I, I've I, Well, I've actually been doing quite a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm a serious commentator for the Bambino Kart Club. And that hits its halfway point this coming weekend. So I'm heading down to Lid uh, on Saturday. 
Uh, I've also got, uh, I've just been up in Rochdale this weekend, funnily enough. One of my uh, friends whose uh, son actually races in the championship said, do I fancy uh, doing some ring announcing? I went, I'll give it a shot. So I was up there last night at the Champions Hall in Rochdale. Thanks very much, Will Moore. Uh, so I did my first uh, boxing ring announcing job. Boxing? Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Where yeah, can people follow boxing. you online to get hold of all this stuff? Uh, Alex underscore G 1977. Oh God, underscores are the worst. You and Chris are terrible. Let's go to the podium. Let's talk about winners. Because winners don't use underscores or do drugs, kids. Let's talk about who wins the thing of the weekend award. Who looks ready and prepped for this? Chris Stevens does. Go on, Chris. Who is your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend is Martin Rundle's yeehaw when Ricardo put in that one ten eight in Q3. <laughs> that was so cool. Of, of all the racing things, of all the magnificent racing things that happened in Monaco, <laughs> which gives us such good and amazing racing, your thing of the weekend was a tiny piece of commentary. It just it just made me smile a lot because it was a proper yeehaw moment, that. Uh, let's go to Jeansy. Jeansy, what was your thing of the weekend? To be fair, the entire F1 field, except Stroll, um, oh, they bad. were yeah. they were all fantastic. Even with Max's crash on Saturday, they were all fantastic this weekend. I thought the performances were up there with some of the best I've seen for a really long time. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Ocon, Gasly, Alonso before he went out. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there was a lot to talk about. Obviously, I think the battle over the front and where, what we think of Monaco in general, because Monaco is such a juxtaposition to the previous races we've seen has dominated this podcast. Of course, ah, maybe we can get a trumpets time or something or a new show next Sunday to cover a bit more of that. Goldie, what was your thing of the weekend? Celebrating in style on the Red Bull energy station, Daniel Ricardo's belly flop into the pool. <laughs> yes, I saw that. Look, still, no one's really talking about racing apart from Jeansy, but I didn't mention that because that would invalidate my point. My thing of the weekend is Leclerc's save. Given that his brakes failed and he went all the way into the back of Hartley, did anybody else think that he used that barrier to slow himself down? I think he steered into the barrier and used the barrier to Im- reduce the impact speed, Goldie. Um, but did anyone see his save going into Sander Vaught earlier on in the weekend? He was literally inches away from the wall. He had a full lockup. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, I have to give that guy credit. And plus he knows those streets very well. He's, he's only like 100 yards. He lives 100 yards off of the start finish straight. Well, I tell you what, like I, I know my village really well. I'd still be rubbish in it in a Formula One car. Um, yeah, it was really impressive, actually, because you could see from the second that the brakes didn't work, that he was like, yeah. uh, I'm going to have a crash. How could I minimize it? And he put it at the barrier. He wanted to he tried to miss Hartley. And unfortunately, he just wasn't going there to. There wasn't room. And he, and he he aimed to make sure he ended up down that slip road to cause as little disruption as possible. Uh, I'm really impressed with Leclerc. I think he's been I think he's been phenomenal, and um, I'm not surprised that there's lots of conversations about him replacing Kimi. It won't happen because Ferrari don't like putting youngsters in. I know. But I like that, I like that he's being talked about highly by Seb and by Lewis. Yeah, I, I think he's been really really impressive, and. I'm so, I'm so happy to see Ericsson just being shown up 
properly this time, which makes me think that Leclerc is the real deal because that, that gap is big. But Ericsson hasn't been terrible this season. Ericsson, I think, has been the best this year that he's ever been. So, um, and the fact that so I know from that your is like incredibly saying, high standards of Ericsson, it doesn't say much. This is the least you've ever hit your microphone in a show, and you've hit it five <laughs> times. So, Chris, at, at the at the absolute worst, he is what the eighteenth best driver in the world. You know that is, but like, why why is that such? There are only twenty Grand Prix drivers in the world, and so. Okay, I, but Ericsson shouldn't be one of them. He's there for yes, weird reasons. No, and Stroll shouldn't be one of them. He's there for weird reasons. Stroll has been absolutely terrible all weekend. He's absolutely put a stamp on. Anybody who's defending Stroll now, they have been completely shown up and ridiculed by his performance and his radio calls. Not only that, Shirokin, who we know really genuinely nothing about, who we also think about as a paid driver, is beating him now and has performed better than him in qualifying. Look at the qualifying results where we saw Leclerc and Sorokin there in Q2 and their teammates falling away. Jeansy. More than five times this weekend, I have said, get Stroll out of that car. I can't remember the last time I have ever said that about a Formula One driver, let alone five times in one weekend. He is, he is, I was, I gave him such the benefit of the doubt his first season and I was oh, just so frustrated with him. I can't even actually put it into words how much I want him gone and Robert or DeResta in that seat. DeResta, the boring racing driver. I even want him back in the seat. Now he's going for Formula E. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. That was quite passionate. I like that. I approved. Uh, Steve, Amy, A, who do the chat room think is the thing of the weekend? And who do you think is the Daniel Ricciardo of the weekend? I mean, the, the thing of the weekend. <clears throat> the thing of the weekend was Daniel's comment when his team said to him, we think you should. And he said, I got it, buddy. I think that's, and someone else in the chat room is uh, quite a few of them have sort of pointed to that as being the thing of the week for them. Team leader. Um, yes. I think that Matt's, Max is going to have a problem, um, you know, asserting himself for the rest of the year. Um, Kedanath, uh, Leah, I hope I got that right, says the thing of the week is Sergei Sorotkin qualifying 13th in a Williams, which is pretty amazing given where they ended up in the race itself. That was Agreed. a good qualifying. Agreed. Williams had an absolute nightmare, yet he has somehow managed to look good out of that. Well, that's fairly easy to do. I mean, his, his teammate is you-know-who, and uh, even I could look good against him. Oh, no. You missed the apex. Chris, who missed the apex for you? Haas, 100%. Uh, What happened to their upgrades? Oh, well, see, here's like, you know, they turn up in Spain, easily the fourth quickest car, and, you know, 40 seconds clear of the rest of the midfield. They've come here to Monaco, and the curbing is just shaking the bodywork to bits, and it's been just falling off in practice. So much so that, you know, they just had to to take it off. So they were basically running, you know, older specs here, which, uh, you know, uh, some people in the team are denying it's had a performance aspect. Other people in the team are saying it has had a, you know, a performance aspect on it. I would very much be leaning on the latter because if that's, you know, genuine pace for them, that's kind of worrying the fact that they can flip flop, you know, so much. But uh, apparently for the next race uh, in Canada, 
Um, they've got uh, slightly thicker carbon with more weaves um, on it to strengthen the the, the bodywork, but that means it's heavier. So they might end up facing an issue there. Wow, you said a lot of things there. Let's move to Jeansy. Jeansy, who missed the apex for you? Charlotte Clerk's breaks. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm so gutted because I I really like the kid and um I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. And just to to have that happen, was it four laps from the end at your home Grand Prix? It doesn't matter. It's Monaco. Just, no one's paying, hard. No, no one's really paying attention to the performance of uh, individual <laughs> drivers at Monaco. But it did give him the opportunity to show off that bit of skill and the awareness he had in that situation in what must have been a very frightening situation. Alex Goldie Goldschmidt, who missed the apex for you, buddy? Williams for Sergei Sorokin because they had a wheel nut problem that caused them to not have the wheels on yep. within, I think it's three minutes before the start of the formation lap, which compromised what we could have seen from Sorokin because he's manhandled that car all weekend long. We could have seen whether he might have even gotten into the lower echelon of the top 10 maybe yeah and it's annoying because i would have liked to have seen how far ahead he could have got of, uh, uh, ahead of stroll uh, but stroll then kind of i think he he, he rear-ended someone and had a puncher and then i think he does anyone know how he got his second puncher by that point i kind of lost interest in stroll well, there was um, calls from Magnuson on the radio saying that there was some debris at Lowe's hairpin. So that would have compromised the left front wheel because uh, I think, didn't he have a left front puncture earlier on in the race? Well, the first one he did, yeah. But I'm, I'm trying yeah. to figure out how he got the second one. And I just assumed that it, was, it was his own tyres way of sending him a message that he was just about done in Formula One. Oh. So, uh, oh. missed the apex. He might have hit the wall for all we know. Steve, who missed the apex for you? Uh, well, I think... I've got to uh, reflect uh, Raul Waters' comment about who, who it was, and that's Max Verstappen. And not only, he's missed it the last four years. Max, he's missed it the, missed it the last four years, the apex that is, at Monaco. So, <laughs> Well, I think, I think the opposite I, of that, he's hit the apex much harder and closer well, than he should have done. That's also true. He had a particularly, as someone said, an intimate relationship with the uh, Apex today. Who missed the Apex for you personally, Steve? Uh, for me personally? Uh, Brendan Hartley. Poor bastard. He really needs... Oh, sorry. I'll have to beat myself now. Um, poor fella. He really needs to get a lucky break somewhere. Yep, you're going to have to beat yourself because you are the guy who sorts out our videos. And Steve, you've done an amazing job. You are a professional level editor. Like, it is your job to edit videos. And you are here putting together this Shed production. So I encourage everybody, even if you listen to the podcast, just go and check out what we do on YouTube. Search Missed Apex Podcast. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with what Steve and Felix have put together graphically and in terms of the video. Uh, Pony Awards. Anyone got a Pony Award? Hands up. Goldie. Lewis Hamilton consistently asking about the tyres. Yep, <laughs> hard to argue with that. So uh, let's give it one of these. Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it now. Chris, uh, Lance Stroll, when his uh, headset came loose, and they say, "You know, you uh, okay? Just keep going." He's like, "I don't care. Just fix it." Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it lance stroll again when i don't even know what he was being uh told but he just went what's the point in even racing 
Yeah, what's the point in you racing? Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Guys, thank you very much for joining us on what was at least an intriguing Monaco Grand Prix. Make sure you follow me personally at Spanners Ready and the show at Mr. Apex F1 on Twitter. We also have a Facebook group, so search for Mr. Apex Podcast on Facebook. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. That's actually the least we've run over on a race review for some time. So, like, some people like it. They're like, oh, brilliant, you know, more content because people are listening throughout the work days. Other people are like, an hour and 20 minutes. Come on, guys. You even said before the show, I think we're going to be bang on an hour. <laughs> yeah, but this is what we always think. Like, the thing is, if there's and not a lot point. happening, we go, oh, well, we can really explore and delve into a subject. Whereas if there's tons on, we sit there going, ah, oh, drumbeat, drumbeat, drumbeat. We've got to get through it. We've got to get through it. Uh, on this occasion, it was the former. Can I just say, I, I didn't plug my Twitter in the show, so... Live... It's got an underscore in it. No one cares. Uh, it's C. Stevens underscore Jack. No one cares. Mine is at Alex Van Gieden. I need I... more I need more subscribers. Just I have great follow dad... on me. Jeansy just does dad tweets. Shut Was up. it thing of the week? Shut up. Chris needs to clean his okay. shelves. And, and <laughs> shut up, shut up. Okay. And now, as planned... Let's do our post-show comment of the week. Comment of the week. Steve, how have you found looking after the chat room for the second time? Easier the second time. You kind of know what you're in for. So <laughs> you're kind of half ready for it. Uh, so yeah, you want to know who the comment of the week should be. I was going to say, do it in like a Eurovision style. Now Australia's part of Eurovision. Go, here are the nominations for the Australian comment of the week. Jury, mate. <laughs> Mate, I've never watched Eurovision in my whole life. I wouldn't know what it's about. I've got better musical taste than that. Ooh, I'm going to be in trouble now. Okay, Matthew Graff is is a contender for uh, Comment of the Week, and he says that the YouTube feed should be in 3D to truly appreciate Spanner's hand gestures. And I think that's probably half all right. I must be part Italian. (laughs) Well, yeah, quite possibly. Um, Mark Greeno, Greenhow, Greeno, I hope that's right, says, when I grow up, I want to be Prince Albert of Monaco. Yeah, I do too. That would be a great place to live. <laughs> Christopher Fonseca says, I believe Lance Stroll was born with the Silver Pony Award in his mouth, and we should send him a, you know, a personalised Silver Pony Award. But I reckon that uh, after Stroll's uh, performance all week on the radio that Ray Thompson gets comment of the week and he says, can we please refer to Stroll fans as Stroll Trolls? Yes, we can. Is that your winner? That's the winner. Comment of the week. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.